Kia ora and welcome to this episode of Better Off Red. My name is Pip Adam and this is episode 59 in which I speak with Elizabeth Heritage about copyright. That's right, copyright. Or should I say that's right, copy. Anyway, Elizabeth Heritage is a Wellington-based freelancer. Um, she works in the book trade and she also works in and around New Zealand media. Um, Elizabeth is an extremely talented book marketer. Um, she's also very helpful with publishing consultancy. Um, I've seen her speak and she's an excellent public speaker. Um, she's a wonderful teacher. And one of the interesting things um, that Elizabeth does and one of the things we've sort of had the most contact with over the last little while is that um, she really has a lot of skills in the area of copyright licensing. Um, so I think the first conversation I had with Elizabeth about copyright licensing was about Creative Commons and um, it was when she was working there um, and I don't know I've just always found her an extremely interesting person to talk to about copyright. Um, what I love about this discussion is that we very quickly move to some quite radical work that's taking place around copyright and um, ways of making copyright even just work um, around our modern technologies. And um, yeah, and the idea of whether around fairness and copyright and yeah, we had a great conversation um, that yeah, really quickly sort of blew my mind about the possibilities for um, perhaps some non-capitalist models and like I say some really radical thinking that's taking place around this area so I really hope you enjoy the podcast and yeah thank you very much Tēnā koutou katoa Nō ingarangi aku tupuna He tangata tariti ahau I whānau mai o i tamaki makaurau i te rohe o Ngāti Whātua, ko Waitamata te Moana, ko Ōwairaka te Maunga, i nei e noho ana o ki Pōniki i te rohe o Te Atiawa, ko Elizabeth Heritage Takuingoa, nō reira tēnā koutou katoa. Hello Elizabeth. Kia ora Pip. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. It's very nice to be here, thank you for having us. You're oh, welcome. there's just me. Yeah, <laughs> speaking in the royal we. Um, I'm really excited. We're going to be talking about copyright. Yes, it's just the best topic. It sure is it's the best topic. Yeah. Um, I feel like we're going to dive straight into it. Yes. So let's dive straight into it, mm -hmm. and maybe have a little bit of a think, or if you could explain a little bit about what this word means, copyright, mm. and what it means in the New Zealand setting. And maybe, you know, what it means for artists and writers and stuff like that. Yeah. Hmm. How long do you have? Because I have a we lot got of thoughts. <laughs> Tell me everything. <laughs> okay. So, to start with a brief definition. Copyright is a form of intellectual property. Um, so, there are several forms. There's copyright, trademarks, trade secrets, and patents. Or patents. Yeah, I know. I've always thought that sounded really romantic <laughs> and fun. Like, trade secrets. But it just means keeping how you make things secret so that no one else can make that. Fair um, enough. So it's kind of, yeah, along the same lines of, and, and a lot of, and all intellectual property has this theme of like, keep it secret, keep it safe. Like, um, it's just for me, basically, um, to, to have this knowledge. Um, so copyright <clears throat> means the right to control copies, hence copyright. Ah. Yeah. Um, and so 
It, um, it came about actually in the 1700s when the booksellers, who were also essentially the publishers of the era because they were the ones who owned not only the bookshops but also the printing presses, they wanted a way to control who got to publish which books. Um, and so, you know, because obviously some were more popular than others. And so the law was made that the um, owner of the copyright would be given the right to control copies for a set period of time. So, and that's a really important thing to remember about copy, copyright, because it, it, that is, it's meant to be temporary. So what copyright says is that if you own the copyright to a work, and a work can be a book, a film, a photograph, a data set, a report, like can be kind of basically anything that is created and written down. Um, if you own the copyright to that, you own the right to control who copies it and when and under what circumstances and you have the right to charge money for it if you wish um, and you have the right to forbid copying as well is really key part of copyright. Mm. Um, there are, so and, and so over the, the centuries the law has kind of changed and expanded and now copyright is lasts for much, much longer than 15 years. So for example in New Zealand the term of copyright has expanded, expanded to be the life of the creator plus 50 years after their death. Whoa. Yeah. So it's gone from being... So so the idea of copyright was basically to give the creator some control and some breathing room to extract commercial benefit from that work, after which time the work would enter the public domain mm. and it would be part of the kind of the... Well, the like collective human commons of like knowledge and art and everything that we all have access to and that anyone could do whatever they wanted with it so it was copyright has ideally has this balance in mind between the protecting the interests of the creators and the publishers and also protecting the interests of the people as a whole to have access to um, artworks and to be able to reuse them and make new art mm, because mm. that's how because no art is created in a vacuum and so we all are inspired by or in some cases directly take from the you know the works that have come before us but now we're in this position where, um, so the, the, one of the reasons that the term has expanded so long is because large companies that are directly invested in owning copyrights have successfully lobbied governments, particularly governments in um, Britain and in the US, which is where we tend to get our laws from in New Zealand. And so, for example, in particular, Disney um, wants, basically wants copyright to never run out. Mm because they want to protect Mickey Mouse. Even though they have more than a dozen trademarks on Mickey Mouse, and a trademark is a much more powerful tool, and it's, I think it's absolutely right and proper that they should own the trademarks on Mickey Mouse. But because Mickey Mouse is coming up for his century, I want to say, um, they are pushing to have copyright extended so that... They, and they and they will keep pushing to mm, do so. Mm. Um, so if left to, to their own devices, copyright would essentially become infinite, so that they could have infinite, never-ending, perfect control over um, Mickey Mouse, mm. which is a worry because I don't think that Disney makes good laws, and I particularly don't think that Disney makes good laws here in mm. Aotearoa. Mm. So here in New Zealand, um, we are currently reviewing our Copyright Act. So if you have feelings about copyright and thoughts and worries, now is a really good time to um, you know, go and express them and talk to your MP or talk to one of the many, many, many different groups that is 
you know, trying to lobby the government at the moment to be like, we think copyright should be this, we think copyright should be like that. So it's all up for grabs. Um, so in New Zealand, we have this copyright term that extends for the life of the creator plus 50 years after their death. We also have what's called some kind of built-in kind of like escape valves mm -hmm. for, the, for the copyright. So on the one hand, the copyright creator has full control over permitting or forbidding any kind of copying. On the other hand, the law says that there are always some circumstances under which we can copy things regardless of what the creator mm. says. Mm. So we have what's called fair dealing. Um, and so that means that, for example, you can make a copy for um, private study or research um, or for purposes of journalism or public administration. Um, um, for example, like the libraries need to be able to make copies in order to archive things properly. Um, and there are also certain exceptions for education. Um, they are very, very complicated. <laughs> And they were written in the pre-digital age. Mm. So often the education exceptions will say something like, um, you can make a class set of this book, you know, like on a photocopier, mm. but then you can't do it again for three weeks. Mm. Which in the digital age, and especially in digital classrooms, makes no sense. Mm. So that's a problem as well. Um, <clears throat> and there are also ways under which you can kind of argue that, that something is fair dealing for purposes of criticism or review. Mm. Um, so if you can say, I made a copy of this photograph in my essay about photography in order to, I don't know, talk about the themes or artistic merits of this work, then you don't have to have the artist's permission. Um, even if you come to the conclusion that it's a terrible photograph and the artist gets really offended, mm. um, they still don't have recourse under copyright law to object to that. So again, there's this attempt at balance between helping to protect the um, the moral integrity and the commercial potential of the work for a certain period of time, but then also recognising that art has a, a function in society all of its own and that everyone deserves access to it. Mm. Yeah. Um, one thing, <coughs> sorry, one thing um, that I think you touched on and I find really interesting in this space is this idea of making a copy. Mm. You know, if you mm. look at 1700, and two, mm. um, you know, the, the labor to make a copy is very different from um, me downloading a yes. PDF of an article or something like that. Yeah. Do you think that that, what are your thoughts around how that sits with copyright law? Or is it not a, it's not a oh, consideration? No, that's, no, that's a really big consideration. So um, as, as you point out, like, even in the last, let alone the last 300 years, even in the last 20 years, mm, yeah. the act of copying has radically changed. Mm. Um, and so, for example, I, I kind of, I have this, this like meme to iron scale. So like, on the one hand, there's a meme. On the other hand, there's an iron. Like you used to iron their clothes. Mm. I say you because I never iron anything. No, I, and in I fact, don't think I've ironed No. <laughs> But I remember, <laughs> I remember that irons exist. Yes, let's yes. remember that. Let's remember that irons exist. <laughs> so on the one hand, if you were going to copy an iron, mm. you would need to, let's assume, you'd need to have a degree in electrical engineering. You'd need to be a metallurgist. You'd need to be able to, like, mould and form plastic. You'd need to understand how to, like, make the iron hot while also keeping it safe. Mm. Um, it, you'd have to do you know, years of study, you'd need materials from all around the world, you'd need really specialist equipment, 
Um, I assume that if I were to take on the task of making an iron from scratch, it would take me a really long time and be really difficult. On the other end of the copying spectrum, we have memes. Mm. And memes, are, um, and, um, so they're usually an image with some text on it for humorous or satirical purposes, <laughs> just for those um, over the age of 20 listening. Um, so they are purposely awfulless. Mm. Um, they uh, and also purposely just ignore copyright absolutely. So often memes will take um, screenshots from TV shows, or they'll take you know images of people's faces totally without asking permission. Mm. Put some text on it, and then they are designed to be essentially infinitely copyable because that's their purpose. Mm. Their purpose is to spread and spread and spread and spread and spread. And they will if they're funny or if it strikes someone as interesting or you know that kind of thing. So, and, and the, the physical labor involving in copying a meme is minimal. So it basically is just like, you like one teeny motion of your finger for like retweet or, you know, forward or whatever it is. Um, so it may literally just be one tiny motion, maybe, maybe two clicks, you know, something like that. So if you compare that to the process of like having to train yourself to be a blacksmith in order to mm. make an iron, um, and so the the verb to copy incorporates this massive discrepancy of kind of labor. Mm. And of course, what the internet has done is it has made copying, the, the labor of copying, utterly negligible. Mm. Mm. And it has also made the practice of copying not only socially normal, but critically important. Mm. Because we have to copy things all the time because that's how the internet works. The internet is this giant copying machine. And even on the kind of very, very sort of basic level of how it works, you've got, you know, you copy on one computer and it talks to another computer. And then like when you visit a web page, the the other computer is like, here's the copy of what this web page is meant to look like for you to show on your screen. And I'll keep a copy on my one over there. I don't really understand how the internet works, but I heard Michelle Acourt explain it once. And that's that's what I learned. so, and and it's because everything we do involves copying. So if you forward an email, mm. you're keeping a copy for yourself. There's one in your sent items, and then, then one that turns up in someone else's inbox. Or if you download a PDF from a website, you're not taking it away from the website. Right. You're replicating it, and you're creating a copy on your machine. Mm. And if you retweet something, you're making a copy. And if you know, so it's, we're just constantly copying all the time in a way that we never ever were before. Mm. Because even, um, cause I'm 38 and I was at university um, in the, uh, over the millennium, so mm. 99 to 02. Mm. And, and the internet was sort of around, like we had email addresses, but we sort of didn't use them. And kind of, quite a lot of the lecturers didn't email us cause they didn't know how. And like, this was before Google. So we used the library a lot. And so we were in that kind of intermediate sort of phase where we were, where copying was still a labor. And I remember being given sheets, uh, being like booklets of readings Mm. by my lecturers, and they would be photocopies of photocopies of photocopies of photocopies, um, almost to the point of illegibility. Mm. Um, And this was, I I, I just thought that that was normal and allowed um, because my lecturers had done it. Mm. But actually, I'm not sure whether they had permission under the education exception to do that or not. I mean, they may have... they, they may have done, and um, they may also have had permission through the licensing agreement that the library had with the journals, um, I don't know. Um, but also I 
thought nothing of photocopying and then like any bits of any book mm. that I wanted. Yeah. Um, it did cost 10 cents a page, but that was the only thing that held me back. <clears throat> like it wasn't <laughs> like considerations of copyright never occurred to me, partly because it was never brought up. Mm. Um, no one ever said this is part of the rules of using the library. Mm. Um, and now, of course, we just constantly copy mm. left, right and centre. Mm. Yeah, all the time. And it's, I, I like, I'm always interested in this word intellectual property, mm. you know, and I just wonder, because that seems to be the other, as well as the technology and the, you know, that kind of thing, there seems to be this other pressure on copyright, which seems to be around this want and desire of capitalism to kind of own yes everything you yes. know and make trade of everything yes and i sort of um i was just i'm just wondering maybe about how the, how that idea plays out like this idea of intellectual property you mm. know that cuz what it's saying is that someone owns what is it saying what, yeah. well i mean this is another really good point and um this is one of the major critiques of copyright is mm. that it forces art into the space of being property particularly property that's owned by a named either individual or institution um, and I don't think that that is necessarily correct like we've become so used to it um, because of course we've lived under capitalism for a long time and we've become really really used to um, physical objects being property but sort of this this idea that intangible things and ideas or like digital art can be intellectual property I think <clears throat> is quite an uneasy one um, and I um, I think that the those critiques of that usually come from the left that to say like should intellectual property even exist is really worth listening to mm. the other problem of course is that when you bring copyright which is a Pakia concept and a Pakia law into Aotearoa and try and sort of squidge it onto um, all the amazing um, you know art and ideas and, and, and you know wire and all kinds of things that are already here again it just doesn't fit mm. um, partly because copyright insists on there being one owner mm. um, whether that's a person or an institution or you know whatever it is um, which which again with with toy Maori is not always appropriate and the other thing with copyright as we've already said is that it necessarily expires and mm. so works that have been under the protection of copyright must at some point enter the public domain whereupon anyone can do anything with them which is also inappropriate mm. um, because then you get into all kinds of um, problems of cultural appropriation and you get people um, taking um, like the images of the of the ancestors and putting them on like tote bags and selling them on eBay like which is really um, very not good um, so there's also within the context of Aotearoa there's a critique of copyright that comes from um, the indigenous community and particularly around not just and it's, and it's one part of a much larger critique around um, indigenous data sovereignty and all that mm. all those kinds mm. of mm. digital era problems um, and there is the government still has not officially responded to the the sort of the Y262 which is the um, the indigenous and intellectual property um, up from the um, tribunal so we're sort of waiting to see where that will uh, what, what will happen there but that I think it's I think hope what I'm hoping what the government will do is consider Y262 and the Copyright Act review 
together mm, and mm. come up with some kind of coherent um, response. Um, there have been some quite good um, uh, sort of beginning projects within the GLAM community. Mm, so yeah. that's um, galleries, libraries, archives and museums for protecting taonga that are held in those institutions and also protecting the reproducible images of those taonga. Um, and I think it's, I think Auckland Museum developed like a, what was essentially a traffic light system. So there was like green, you can copy whatever you want. Orange, you have to ask. And red, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Um, so it may be that, you know, we sort of come up with something like that or some kind of process for asking permission. But um, I think one of the reasons that it's been put off for so long is because it is really complicated. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And we don't have a, an easy, particularly under capitalism, we don't have an easy kind of buy-sell mentality that we can just sort of throw at it. Because mm. that, I mean, that is the interesting thing, isn't it? Is that, um, yeah, that idea of an alternative, mm. you know, and, um, you know, like, it, it, it seems like we've taken, yeah, it almost seems like we have taken, an, um, you know, a horse and tried to make it a spaceship but yeah it just (laughs) it it just is really interesting and as far as alternatives go Mm. like I know that you know about creative commons (laughs) I sure do (laughs) and I creative commons is something I am extremely interested in and grateful to you know like often I use um creative commons work like work that's licensed under creative commons for this Mm. podcast um I've used work that's licensed under creative commons for teaching um you know like I just think um do you want to talk a little bit about it like can you do like a um beginner's guide beginner's guide okay so the year is 1999 it was a good year it was a good year (laughs) I was 19 I didn't know what copyright was (laughs) you were photocopying away I was photocopying away I had very long hair Um, and and at the same time over in the United States of America um, Lawrence Lessig and a bunch of his pals who were um, uh, white American lawyers mostly um, we're rec- recognizing basically this massive problem which you get when you try to apply copyright law to the internet. Mm. Um, and so they came up with a series of licenses, copyright licenses called Creative Commons. So a copyright license um, is a way of giving permission in advance. Um, so just like your driving license is where the government has given you permission in advance to drive your car. Not always a good idea. Not always a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> but we have, you know, we have processes in mm-hmm. place. So you've got official permission. And like James Bond is licensed to kill. Yes. So it means he's been given permission in advance um, to kind of swan about and, you know, being sexy and shooting people. Um, so a creative, so a copyright license is where you give permission in advance for a certain kind of copying. And so because copyright law says that you can control the copying of your work to whatever degree you think fit, a copyright license can take any kind of form. Mm. So you could say, for example, um, this book that I have written, I hereby give permission in advance for people who are Danish to copy it (laughs) on a Tuesday, but only if they're wearing pink socks. So you could do that. Um, but most people won't because you need lawyers and da da da. So what Creative Commons did was it came up with six pre-written licenses that you can just slap onto your work. Um, and so they, the other thing that I think 
main um, has contributed to Creative Commons success is that the licenses have three layers. So the the one layer is a little icon, mm -hmm. which is very easily recognisable. Um, so it's usually a CC in a circle, and then a little person in a circle, and then it might have some other little circles as well. Um, and then the second layer is a really plain English explanation of what the license is. Mm. So most Creative Commons licenses will say that you can um, copy this work as long as you attribute to the creator. Uh, the licenses may also say that you can copy this work as long as you attribute the creator and do not derive commercial benefit from it, and or um, don't make derivative works from it, and or as long as you re-license any work um, that contains this work under the same license. Ah, nice. So that's a way of kind of trying to encourage other people to use Creative Commons licenses. So, they came up with this this suite of licenses and then over the last 20 years they've been basically pushing them out around the world. Mm. So in um, Aotearoa we have the licenses in Te Reo Māori as well as in English um, and people have been using them for all different kinds of things. So Creative Commons licenses are kind of like a band-aid on the massive problem of trying to apply copyright law as it currently stands to the internet. Um, personally, I think that we need a much more radical solution and we need to rethink this whole idea of intellectual property from mm. the ground up, mm. particularly taking into account um, our treaty obligations and like our particular context as Aotearoa and you know what it's gonna make sense for us um, as a multicultural society and like owning things in common or like not owning things that's mm. that's that's the mm. other big thing is like non-ownership um which is where the public which is why the public domain is so interesting so the public domain um has a variety of meanings but it's it's technical meaning in the in the context of the copyright law means that a work for which there are no rights associated so the rights have expired or they've been forfeited or they never had any to begin with so there are a small amount of copyright other what would otherwise be copyright works that have no copyright so for example the laws of the land mm. copyright never applies because everyone should always be able to have a copy mm. of those so they know what they are uh, but most things of course copyright applies by default um, and that's the other sort of part of the band-aid that Creative Commons is supplying because when you create a work of art and remember this could be a tweet or it could be a photograph that you take on your phone um, and because because that's the other thing about um, how we live now is not only are we copying constantly but we're creating constantly constantly um, you know not not just sort of big works like movies and books but um, you know smaller ones like um, photographs that we we snap and because copyright law applies by default and it applies immediately at the point of creation we all have these works that are sort of pinned in by copyright whether we want them to or not mm. so a creative commons license is a way of opting out of that and it's a way of saying um, I know that technically under the law no one can copy this without my express permission except under fair dealing and I, that doesn't work for me so what I'm doing is I'm applying a Creative Commons license and so I'm saying I hereby give permission in advance to everyone forever or as, like, as long as the copyright, term of copyright holds to copy my work under wh whichever small series of conditions I choose. Mm. Um, and the other thing that Creative Commons also supplies is what's called a CC0, which is a copyright waiver. Mm. 
So it's your way of opting out of ownership altogether. So you're saying, it's not that I want you to just attribute me when you copy it. It's that I'm saying this work no longer belongs to me. This work now belongs to everybody. Mm. This work is now in the public domain. Anyone can do whatever they want with it. That sounds amazing. Yeah. And absolutely, like, I'm just, I'm sorry, I've gone, I've gone to thinking about open source. Yeah, yeah, go for it. And I'm just mm. thinking that, that, like, I mean, that must work extremely well for open source software and... I mean, is that right? Uh, like, so Creative Commons licenses are not software licenses, ah. so you wouldn't use them in a software context. Mm. But there are equivalent, oh, very, right. very open software licenses that you could use if you're wanting to encourage because it collaboration. Does, it stuff. does yeah. seem that Creative Commons makes some, some collaboration and stuff possible in places where the old copyright law would just would not. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a kind of a... I think what Creative Commons is trying to do is to be a middle ground because what uh, what what happens when laws stop working is that people stop obeying them. Yeah. And so you've got this copyright law and then you've got the... And then the internet comes along and suddenly everyone's copying, you know, all the live long day. And because copyright law is too difficult and too complicated... People just sidestep it entirely. Mm. And that's why you get people, you know, like the Pirate Bay, and mm. you get like ripped copies, and you get like these um, <clears throat> kind of nasty versions of things that are like really low grade or shitty, or like people have just like filmed it in a cinema, or, you know, or like the file name thinks, says it's the latest episode of your favorite show, but then it turns out to be horrible porn. Mm. Um, and so you get this kind of black market mm. of, of copying mm. and also you get people who genuinely don't realize that what they're doing is illegal yeah um you know like just grabbing a photo off a website and putting it up on something without asking permission mm. Mm. um or you know like and and half the time there's no harm done like it might just be that they need a photo of a flower for a community newsletter and so they google flower and just take the first one they like that comes up even though it's protected by copyright and technically mm. they shouldn't have mm done it so what creative commons is trying to do is to be a sort of something in the middle whereby you you still have that like flow of copying mm. but you just have this little bit in where you that sort of pops up and you're like oh and a tribute i'm going to attribute mm. to this mm. or like oh i'm just going to check that i can copy this mm. legally because i know that i can technically because i just go right click copy image yeah um, super <laughs> super easy but like i just i'm just going to check that i'm legally allowed to do this that's what i love i think it's Flickr where i can do a search for creative commons like yes. i can do a search under each one of them yeah. so that if i am doing a presentation or something i can go through and search that like we i use that on the website for this podcast as well and like it does seem because I totally agree with what you're saying. Like, mm. I mean, I'm like, oh, I need a picture of this book cover. Mm. And, oh, here's a picture of this book cover. Mm. You know, mm. and then there's that strange thing. Yeah, like, I think I'm doing that completely illegally. Mm. But, um, yeah, it's so interesting. Mm. What do you think are the advantages to... I really want to hear your radical idea. Yeah. Would you share your radical idea? <laughs> or is it a secret? Is it trade secret? <laughs> Uh, any parts of it? Can you share any parts of it or a sense of it? I don't know. Do you want to? Um, so I think... They, uh, so it's, 
interesting things are happening with the Creative Commons kind of crowd mm. here in Aotearoa. So from, I think it was 2014 to 2017, I worked for Creative Commons mm. Aotearoa New Zealand as their communications lead, which is how I came to learn about Creative Commons and um, to learn a lot more about copyright. Um, and then since I left, the Creative Commons Aotearoa New Zealand no longer exists and it has transformed itself into Toha Toha Aotearoa Commons, which is like a sharing awesome. commons. And it's being led by Mandy Hink, who oh. is a um, librarian by training. Um, she's from the States. Um, and I was on the panel that hired her. And one of the things that I really liked about her was the fact that she was the one of the librarians for the Occupy movement. Mm, she was mm. one of the, the people's sort of library librarians and she had all kinds of um ideas that were sort of along the line that creative commons was starting but several stages further down um and so i'd be really interested to see what happens under her leadership and Mm. where she takes um Mm. toha toha aotearoa um and i'm doing a little bit of work with them still because it's kind of on a Mm. contract basis um and she she basically has this much much more radical critique of intellectual property at all like do we even need to have ownership mm. and like and and especially looking at the power structures and um, inherent in um all of these institutions that own things and the way that we respond to uh what we perceive as infractions or infringements of our rights um and particularly the way that um particularly along class lines because I think, and, and I sort of thought about this a lot and sort of reflect, especially since I left um, Creative Commons as a staff member and I've sort of been reflecting on my time there and, and the kind of the strengths and weaknesses of Creative Commons as, a, as an international organisation. I think its main weakness is it sort of has this view of like, step one, open copyright licensing. Step two, question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark. Step three, profit. And... A, I don't know whether profit is what we should be aiming Mm. for. Mm. And B, that series of question marks hides a multitude of sins because although, yes, sharing is good and, you know, giving your work away to to enter the, like, you know, pool of human knowledge is good, you're ignoring the fact that while we live in a capitalist society and while we live in a society that has an ever-eroding safety net people still need to earn money and that includes people who make their work from um, creative endeavors and by you know creating films or books or reports or data sets or software or you know things that are written or Mm. or you know artistically created and simply making it easier to share doesn't help those people fulfill their material needs and like earn the money that they need in order to live so there's and so so that sort of within the sort of sort of capital o open movement which mm. encompasses a, a wide variety of of just sort of different types of people um there is this increasing dissatisfaction with the fact that this sort of step one openness step two utopia sort of hasn't worked because everyone still needs day jobs and the reality is that often the only people who can afford to give their work away 
are the people who are already privately wealthy or have some other kind of income stream mm. um, coming in. And so it's it's a much, much bigger problem than just copyright. Mm. Is, uh, you know, and everything is, is sort of interconnected. Um, and so one of the big f- uh, foci, I think, of, of Toha Toha Aotearoa Commons going forward, hopefully, I mean, and it, it, this is still to be discussed with the sort of mm. community at large, so, you know, who knows. But um, hopefully one of the big foci will be decolonization and also decarbonization mm. Um, mm. because of course also climate change extremely pressing yes <laughs> yes slightly <laughs> has an effect on everything yeah. including seemingly unrelated topics yeah such as copyright because mm. i just i'm um, sorry i'm sitting here nodding like a um person with nodding um but like <laughs> i just it's just one of the things that has always it's always been the stone in my shoe around mm. open yeah you know because i just feel like i just i feel like i'm able to write because my partner makes money yeah and i'm privileged enough to have a job also that makes money yeah which means that i have free time occasionally to write mm. um whereas I have friends that are working three jobs, mm. have five kids, mm. you know, and these this is a whole sector that we're not getting creative endeavor from. Yeah. You know, and that and I think and often for years I was very high minded and was like, Oh, everything belongs to everybody. Yeah. Da, yeah, da, yeah. Da, da. But then what I'm doing you know, I realise now that that was a really privileged position for mm. me to take. Mm. Um, because yeah, maybe it's okay for me to say, yeah, take this, you know, because I'm mm. in a position of power and in a position of privilege that isn't available to other people. Mm. And therefore, even at that level of creation, we're not getting work. Do you know what Absolutely. I mean? Like, Absolutely. Even at that level yeah. of creation, we're not getting work from people, you know. And um, yeah, oh God, I'm so excited by what you're saying. Because mm. I, think, I think you're right. Like, I think also... You know, like I, I, I was, I studied, I did a library degree in 2000 and, uh, when was it? Maybe it was 2001, 2002. Oh yeah. And like lesser, you know, like it felt like this brave new world. Yeah, And it yeah. definitely felt like Creative Commons was meant to be a mm. jumping point to something amazing. And now if you do the real arithmetic about how long it's been, mm. it really, it's kind of exciting that there is this slightly more radical view of it. I yeah. Think. Yeah. It's kind of, it's quite cool. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I'm, I'm hoping that particularly within the context of us here in Aotearoa, it's an idea whose time is hopefully coming, hopefully. Um, particularly because we are now living in a world where there is a much greater awareness of the dangers of the power imbalances on the internet. And not just the kind of interpersonal power imbalances where, you know, Twitter being not safe for women and that kind of thing Um, but the massive kind of societal level imbalances between like the incredible power that Facebook and Google hold and they are accountable to nobody Mm. I mean they're shareholders I guess Um, but there's you know like they're, they're basically evading all attempts to legislate them into some kind of um good behavior and and oh sorry you go no I was just going to say and so the I think I'm, I'm hoping that what will happen is that these sort of things will start coming together in people's heads and people will start realising that um, digital activism 
it kind of has a bad name because at the moment we just think of it as like, oh, I signed a petition. I'm such a good person. Oh, job done. Um, <laughs> but actually, it, it's a lot bigger than that. And what it means is like taking a step back, looking at the way our digital lives are playing out, who has the power, who's influencing us and who's manipulating us and for what ends and just thinking, am I happy with that and what do I want to change? Because mm. I was just I, I, I was just thinking that thing, you know, like, I mean, I... I certain people I may know you know you don't get a cease and desist order from Mm. Rihanna Mm. you know you get a cease and desist order from EMI or one of the big music companies you know what I mean and and like um yeah there's that interesting thing I really like when we were emailing about this you were talking about how copyright can have other practical problems for authors apart from piracy Mm. and do you want to talk a little bit about that yeah so and especially what you what you just said about how you don't get a cease and desist order from the artist, you get it from the publisher. And I think it's worth remembering that, um, like we were saying before about the beginning of copyright, it wasn't the authors no. that were agitating for protection. It was the publisher, the booksellers. It was the, the, the people. They were protecting their means of production. Yeah. And and it's... The, when, you, when you talk to people who are very pro-copyright and who want to keep it as closed as possible and as powerful as possible, they will talk a big game about protecting artists Mm, and protecting mm, artists' mm, rights. mm. But actually, most of the benefit of those laws goes to people like Sony and Disney rather than the people who made the art. Like it's then so they will they will talk a big game about protecting the little person you know, who's scribbling away in the mm. attic romantically. But actually that person isn't seeing most of the benefits and they're not seeing most of the money. Mm. So copyright as a as a concept for for creators and for artists is very difficult because I think a lot of people are terrified of being taken advantage of, mm-hmm. and rightly so, um, but also don't have the resources to either um, critique the contract or the license themselves and also don't have the resources to hire in a lawyer. Um, so there are some um, associations in New Zealand where you can get legal advice, and I would definitely um, advise if you're a member of, I think there's like the Artists Alliance and the Society of Authors and stuff will have some legal recourse. So if you're worried about it, I would definitely recommend um, seeking out the help that you can find. Um, but also, I'm, I'm just increasingly of the opinion that like collective action and unionizing is going to be the way. And kind of having to have that really awkward realization that your publisher or your you know, like music producer or um, you know whoever they are, might not necessarily have your best interests at heart um, and also the massive massive dangers of working for free because a it sucks and b it brings the rate down for everybody and c it means that you are just closing doors to people who cannot afford to work for free mm. and like you were saying before like on the level of of the just the, the labor it takes to create the thing there's a whole massive segment of the population that we never see what they're creating because they don't physically have the time mm. um, and so I, I I really think that one of the best ways to protect your art is to agitate for workers rights and for um, 
social security and for um i don't know maybe like a universal basic income just something that will help us help us all respect each other's human rights as well because we do all have a right to you know food and shelter and healthcare and um you know some of us don't have those things um and until we're i think if we can just sort of lift people up and get to the point where we're all respecting each other's human rights as much as we can i just think that would be a really good place to start from <laughs> i like i like that place can i come and live in that place yes i'd like it to change right now like that um i had a friend who used to work um in um science publishing oh yeah health um and something really interesting she used to say is that and this is going back quite a long time maybe 10 maybe yeah maybe 10 years mm. She was sort of saying that um, authors of scientific papers often want a monograph rather than readers. Do you know mm. what I mean? And like when she would approach them about a more open sort of, you know, this is often work that's published, you know, that's created through, um, you know, often open data sets and yep. things like that and that sort of thing. And I don't know, like, yeah, I guess, I don't know why I'm even saying this, but just this idea that maybe readership is an interesting idea rather than thinking about the object if you know what I mean I yes what I'm trying to say no well the the I mean the problem is where are your incentives yeah. right and particularly in academic publishing um and so in New Zealand we have the the performance-based research fund <laughs> of course oh, which sorry. has its particular it's it has its particular incentives <laughs> um most of which are around prestige mm. rather than um readership yeah um and I think, I mean, one of the things that um, we used to to agitate for um, when I was back at when I was working at Creative Commons Aotearoa as it was, was changing the incentives of the PBRF mm, to mm. make it more, and and to mandate open licensing, because, I mean, and and again we, we, capitalism encourages us to think individually, but that has really significant downsides. And one of the really significant downsides when you encourage scientists to think individually is that people die mm, because mm, the like the people who knew how to make this kind of medicine, the people who used, knew how to make this other kind of medicine don't talk to each other because they don't subscribe to that journal because they can't afford it so they don't get the information. And so the, the, like, the research doesn't progress as it should and then the healthcare doesn't happen and then the, you know. So there are... And I think it's worth really bearing that in mind because, I mean, on some level, squabbling about about copyright can feel really um, important because, like, who cares if this book gets read or not? But, it, you know, in, in the terms of, particularly in terms of medical science, it has these really, really significant human impacts. Mm. Um, and so I think, and I think the only way to change that is to change the incentives. Mm because mm. that's another thing I was really surprised at this year because I've sort of been a little bit out of librarianship and academic stuff for a while but this idea of these these people who have almost weaponized copyright yeah. and have these massive aggregated databases mm. that um yeah and are holding on to things that could be translated but are not being translated yep. and they're holding on to them in a way that um you know are impossible to access and yeah, it just it blew my mind actually yeah, because it, it, yeah. it really was mm. horrifying. Like I, I sort of because like you say, it's often easy to think, 
oh, you know, it's just writers and books, mm, you know. Mm. But this this just horrified me. Like, I was talking to a particular friend who is trying to access an article. It's just impossible to get to. Mm. And she was told by the... Um, by the owners of the database that um, she needed to fly to Los Angeles for starter. <laughs> like, it was just... And I was like... Yeah. At first I was like, oh, that sounds frustrating. And yeah. then I suddenly thought, but hang on, this is a pivotal article in this yeah. area of study. It's not only her that can't get it. It's everybody. It's everybody can't yeah. get it. Therefore, we're writing all these books about this particular part of science without... Yeah, you know, without this, the information. Because it wasn't yeah. even... You know, she, she spoke the language that it was written in. It was just... They wouldn't even give her, like, an index page. Like, it was just so freaky. Yeah. Why? Yeah. why, why we need to... Um, to change the incentives. Yeah. 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 Yes. <laughs> maybe just, yeah. Or maybe... And are those companies almost like Facebook in that way that they don't answer to anyone? You know, like, these corporations are so powerful. Right? Yes. Yeah, I mean, there is this sort of oligarchy of, of the big... Particularly the big scientific publishers. Mm. And um, they have... They have adapted to the some of the demands of the open movement, but they've also responded with, like you were saying, with with sort of these sort of weaponized responses of their own. So, for example, they will have some open access journals, but they have all these strings attached. So, for example, um, you can't release something openly until it's been in their um, paywall under their pay, behind their paywall for at least a year, or they'll have these things called. Um, article processing charges or author processing charges where they make the (laughs) author pay in order to make the article openly available and remember that that under scientific publishing the author isn't getting paid for their work because they've done it as part of their job for their university the peer reviewers aren't getting paid um, but everyone who wants to read it has to pay Mm. so it's it's like it's, it's all completely backwards um, so like they've got people you... like sharing their expertise for free and then instead of everything being freely re- available as a sort of natural result of that you instead have everything locked behind paywalls mm. it, it's working for a few people it sure is it sure is <laughs> it's working for those yeah followers awesome because yeah. that was the other thing that i've been interested in reading about lately is this idea i don't even know what the movement's called but this idea that um all this data that we're producing about ourselves that's being used that mm. maybe there's a time in the future where that could belong to us as well and like we could Mm. sell that back to people as well I don't know I quite like that yeah yeah (laughs) I like that let's sell it all um one last thing I think we were going to look at was we were going to have a look at Thomason's book oh yes yeah yeah because this is um a book that was licensed under creative commons yes and um so I can't even remember what year this came out uh 2014 2014 so yeah. this was published by Lawrence and Gibson. Yes. And the book is called Adlib. Yep. And it is licensed under... Oh, what do you want to read that? Um, it is licensed under CCBYSA, which means Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike. Um, oh, hang on. Let me just double check that. Um, oh, BYNCSA. I beg your pardon. So it's the license that... Um, protects Thomason's commercial rights. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's an attribution, non-commercial share alike. So it means that if you wanted to copy her book, um, which is, I believe, only available in print, so if you wanted to copy it, you would either have to like photograph each page or photocopy it. Um, but you could do so as long as you attributed her as the creator, um, as long as you did not derive any commercial benefit from it, and as long as you um, re-licensed any work you made from that copy under the same license. Mm. 
Because that, so what that opens up the possibility of is all sorts of things, doesn't it? Yeah. So it opens up the possibility that maybe Lawrence and Gibson can't get books to, I'm trying to think, some, they could get books anywhere, but say mm. there's a p- part of the world where they can't get books to, mm. it means that if someone wants to read this for their book group, they mm. could get one copy posted, mm. make copies for the 12 people in their group and have an interesting discussion. Yeah, or if they absolutely. wanted to teach this book. or Yeah. yeah. Um, I guess the other possibility that's always of interest to me is it means other derivative artworks can be made from it as yes. well. Eh? Yes. Which is kind of exciting. Like if someone decided they wanted to make a graphic novel out of this book. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They could do so as long as they then license that work under the same license. Awesome. Yeah. And that's kind of cool because then it builds this community, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. the idea. I really like that yeah and also I guess they could I remember um so theoretically they could also grab this book and turn it into an ebook that is geocate you know so you could travel Mm. around the places that it talks about in the book as well yeah yeah oh my gosh yeah that's so cool yeah so that I'm just thinking what do you think but also I mean it's it's also worth pointing out that this book is available for sale in shops in the normal way mm, so mm. it's not that she's given her work away for free mm. like people still buy the book for money mm. um, but also then they are allowed to copy it and yeah. can I ask one thing about that yeah do you think like if you didn't want to sell it you could mm. do the same thing though way eh? yeah like if you Absolutely. decided here's a copy of my book mm. it's electronic I'm gonna just put it up yeah, you can do that as well. Yeah, yeah, oh for God, sure. That's so cool. Yeah, yeah. So there's, I mean, the whole give some away for free is a marketing idea as old as time. Yeah. And so often what some authors will do is that they will use price rather than licensing to do that. Yeah. Particularly if you've written, say, a series mm. and you're like giving the first book away in the hope that it will then tempt people to buy the other four books. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so most authors do that using zero pricing mm. but mm. you could also do that using open licensing That's so cool. um, and you could say you know this book is available to be copied or downloaded from my site you know as an ebook which and, and of course when something is an ebook the process of copying and the process of selling for free are the same yeah because you're selling a copy mm. of the ebook mm. which is one of a potentially infinite number of copies mm. so it's not like having a print run where there's a with upfront costs because yeah. um, I'm just remembering, um, sorry, this is a bit of a fangirl moment, but um, Corey Doctoro, his last book, mm. um, I got to meet him and he gave me this little credit card sized um, thing oh, yeah. in the cover of the book and everything. And you flicked it over and it was a tiny little USB kind of thing. Oh, neat. And it was the ebook. Yeah. And like, I was just thinking, that is so cool. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. because I've bought the book and that was exciting and I've yeah. read the book. But I also now have something that I can carry the book in different formats around yes. with me. And theoretically, I guess I could give that to someone else. Yeah. You know, and um, it just, I don't know, like it was really, it was really, I always feel like he's kind of a bit on the sort of cutting edge of that sort of thing. Well, maybe he's mm. not, but I mean, I think I think some of the stuff, seeing this stuff in action is really, really interesting. Mm, mm. I feel like there's a monster in the room and it's a complicated monster and we could probably talk for another nine hours about it. Mm. But I'm wondering about the way a lot of this dream mm. of sort of, you know, electronic transmission seems to be owned by Amazon at the moment. Mm. And, like, I think it's interesting because I've been to a couple of writers' forums lately where people have talked about how good Amazon is and Mm. how wonderful. And um, I guess with the whole AWS and, you know, like, I feel very uneasy 
about that as a platform yet it just yes. seems that you know because they've got that horrible thing where they just you know they go into loss to put someone out of business so that they can then yeah and I just wonder that's what I think is quite cool about how Cory Doctorow he it, the hub the hub the hub of all his electronic sales and distribution seems to be his website mm. but do you have I mean, do you have thoughts on Amazon? Ah, yes. <laughs> Where shall we begin? This is another podcast. Um, that is a whole another podcast. I mean, I think the reason Amazon is successful is because it is really easy to use mm-hmm. for the consumer, mm-hmm. and it is giving people what they want at the least possible inconvenience. Mm. Like yeah least possible labor on their end and the other reason it's successful is that a lot of people are making a lot of money Mm. from it Mm. but the trouble with it is that it is not a force for good in this world and they do do a lot of what as you say predatory pricing where they they specifically undersell like think sell sell at a loss in order to put other publishers and booksellers out of business and again we're as, as consumers and readers, we tend to be a lot more focused on how is this working for me individually in this moment than what is the broader social impact of what this what is happening here. Mm. And one of the things I do is I work as a consultant for particularly for self-published authors, and um, we I, we always have to have the Amazon conversation. Um, and I, you know, say it's up to them, but like. A, you will reach a lot more people using mm, Amazon mm. and you will potentially make a lot more money. But B, you will be actively participating in and assisting a process that I believe is not good for books overall and is not good for authors overall. So it's that, but it's, it is difficult because if you say to, the, to someone on the one hand, this is going to be really good for you individually, financially, in the short term, which is where we most of us tend to spend our, mm. our sort of mm. lives, and and you know, and understandably so. But on the other hand, you know, in the long term, you know, on a sort of broader scale, this is I believe going to be extremely bad. It's the same problem with climate change, right? Yeah. Is that the problem is just so big and so broad and so disastrous that we're like, oh no. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. Well, let's not think about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's totally true. Yeah. And I think, you know, and I think I just, it is just so that thing of individual. Yeah. You know, because I find myself doing it. Yeah. You know of what course I mean? You do. I'm like, we all do. I really yeah. want to read that fucking book tonight. Yes. <laughs> you know, and oh, look, and just hammers me here for seven bucks. Yeah. You know, and I just, I don't know. It's just so yeah. I think I think that you're right. I think I don't know. I don't. There's no. I I don't. There's no think easy answer. There's an easy answer. No. But I think that this change of mind, you know, and maybe just being a, having those thoughts a little more present in my head, I think I could maybe be a better. Um, yeah, it's such a oh god. It's such it's an tough, interesting though. thing yeah. because I do think, you know, like. I just feel like there's this whole separate field in publishing happening at the moment of people that have worked out how to use Amazon. Yes. You know, and yes. I think it's brilliant, you know, yeah. because there's work getting out there in a way that, you know, and that sort of thing. But on the other hand, it's just, yeah, makes my tummy go funny. Yes, indeed. Not totally happy about it. Got any good news to finish on with? <laughs> um, 
<laughs> the good news. What's the good news? I think the good news is that we're starting to realise some of the problems. Like I, and I think, particularly, I think about the, the how young the internet is mm. and how young our kind of social grasp of the internet is. And I think we're like at that point where like if you're lucky enough to go to university and you're an undergraduate and you read like a book that's like um oh there are all these forces at work and you're like oh my god like and you start seeing it everywhere and you become that insufferable person that like um is constantly um trying to critique the system while not not perfectly understanding it um i think as a society we're now at that point where we're kind of collectively about 19 years old Mm. starting to come out of that really safe sort of um place where we're like the world is all about me and i've got you know people looking after me all the time to just like starting to stand on our own a little bit starting to understand our place in the broader world and starting to um understand a little bit about the forces that are at work that are shaping our relationship with the digital world and our digital lives and i'm personally really hopeful that we will mm. respond well to that i feel yeah. better talking to you oh good i just yeah <laughs> i feel like um yeah i feel better talking to you i i feel like yeah like i say i i feel like we're on our way yeah and um if anyone wants to join Toha Toha Aotearoa Commons, it's an incorporated society. Um, and also you can just sort of hang out with us in the normal way, like sign up to the newsletter, etc., etc. Awesome. Um, but yeah, there are people who are thinking about this and working on it. Yeah. Um, and the more people who join in, the better. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. You're awesome. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. Kia ora, Pip. You're Thank awesome. you for having me. Cheers. Thank you.